Hi guys, welcome to Dead by Tomorrow Interviews. My name is Daniel Winter and my co-host is Andrew Monroe. As we explore different topics that are worth thinking about today, we want to bring in guests to share their own unique perspective. We hope you enjoy hearing from our guests as much as we enjoy talking to them. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. We've got something a little different for you today. I've got Larry Fronsek with me. He is the founder, creator, owner, I don't even know what the right title is, for Voracious Readers, which this is something that I actually personally use and love. Uh, before this sounds like it's like a, a sales kind of thing, though, we'll explain a little bit more about Voracious Readers down the road. The short version is for you readers out there. It's a place where you can get free books and like there's no catches or anything. We, you know, I think Larry prefers that there's a trade-out of honest reviews for the books that you're getting. But uh, it's it's a pretty pretty chill, really cool resource for anybody who's, you know, trying to catch some of those new and upcoming books and also save some money and still get your, you know, your reading needs met without spending an arm and a leg at Barnes and Noble. So Larry, welcome onto the show. Thank you so much for making time. I know we were just talking about some of your to-do lists and everything like that, but before we get into your day-to-day life, do you kind of want to give a breakdown on what you think voracious readers means to people, how you're helping the world out, at least us authors and readers and you know, kind of give us a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, okay. So my name is Larry Fronsek. I've, my background is in marketing. I've, I've mainly worked in healthcare and small business marketing for the last 24 years. I started Voracious Readers Only, I believe in 2017, tail end of 2017 to, um, my, my wife was writing a book and, you know, we were looking at all the resources online about, you know, how to do the author thing. And, um, you know, every website you come across, they'll all say, well, you got to build your email list. And, uh, they don't really tell you how to do that. And, you know, in, in my experience, I've, I found that, you know, it can get pretty pricey with advertising on things like Facebook or Instagram. If you're trying to build an email list for one person, you know, for one genre, and it didn't really make a lot of sense for, you know, authors to do that on their own. And so, uh, while she was writing her book, I was trying to figure out, well, you know, what's, what's the way that voracious read or uh, one, let's come up with the name. So we came up with voracious readers only because it kind of, it kind of pinpoints kind of person we're looking for. We're looking for that person who just reads like one, two, three, four books a week. They just tear through them. They love, they love reading new authors. They love being the person who tells their friends that they found this new author. They got to check out this book. You know, that's not the standard fare you might find at Barnes and Noble or whatever bookstores near you. And so uh, we came up with some ideas at first. First thing, we had to get a list of readers. So came up with the marketing campaign on Facebook and started running it. And then lo and behold, people were signing up, even though the website I put up was super ugly because I wasn't really good at web design yet. And, you know, I was getting a lot of readers signed up. And so... Once I got to about 150, I started contacting some authors who just put out books on Smashwords, like in the last week, and basically said, hey, I got this list of readers, I'm looking to do book giveaways. What we do is if a reader requests a book, you'll you'll get their email address so you can add them to your list and keep in touch with them and they get the book and then we'll follow up with them and hopefully they enjoy the book, we'll encourage them to review it. 
and um i didn't really get much resistance from authors and uh so you know away we went uh, after a while i got so backed up with authors who had signed up that i just stopped all author outreach because they were finding me from the reader ads and um <laughs> So, I mean, like I haven't, I haven't reached out to an author in like four years now, but, uh, you know, they, they still come through. And, and once we had that going with it, you know, we had to figure out some way to monetize it <laughs> and, uh, in business speak. Um, and so we came up with this called the evergreen program. And what that did was authors can sign up and then their book is offered to new readers who sign up for VRO, um, at some point after they sign up. And so when a reader signs up, they start getting a lot of offers for books that are, um, of interest to them. And, um, we recently switched to a new platform because the, the one we were using, uh, it just started kind of not working as well. So I had to shut down the whole business for a couple of months and move over to a new setup. And, uh, when we did that transition, gave me, the ability to make some changes and one change that, um, I did that I think really works out is instead of being very broad in genres, we, we kind of broke them down a bit more. So instead of just choosing fantasy, maybe you're choosing like dark fantasy and urban fantasy or epic fantasy or coming of age, young adult, middle grade fantasy. And you know, that way you could tailor your taste a little bit more and you'll get offers that are a bit more specific to what you're looking for. Um, and, um, that seems to be working pretty well because, you know, one, one issue that we were kind of running into is you get readers who just sign up, choose a bunch of genres and they're like, Hey, I'm getting too many offers. It's like, well, you chose every genre. And so what a problem uh, to have too many books. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, we, we've think we've got that fixed and, uh, you know, we also found that, you know, a lot of, a lot of readers who responded they may they may not have ever sideloaded a book onto their Kindle or or you know tablet or whatever they're using, and so you know we put together a quick guide to show them how to do it, and then uh, we also ran into readers who wanted to review books but they didn't really know how to do it, and so we figured out that Amazon and Goodreads they do have like these kind of shortcut links you can create that take you yeah. right to the review screen. So in our follow-up emails, readers click a page, it goes to a page or a link, it goes to a page on our website that has those links for that particular book. And it makes that process a bit easier for them. Well, and those are hard to find, those little short codes to get to the review. Google does the same way for like a business profile. Um, oh, yeah. They the, don't make them the, easy to find. <laughs> oh, the Google, the Google one is like impossible. I don't know. I don't know how a regular business owner is supposed to do that. I don't think you can't like... Unless someone tells you like, hey, you need to go Google how to find this thing. If you're not hiring a marketer, I don't. And a marketer who actually cares, you know, a lot of people out there that do marketing are like, hey, yeah, give me your money. I'll, I'll do some Canva designs and we'll call it quits. But, you know, actually finding that Google short tag or, you know, the Amazon short tag or it's just they hide them and they are not. And, and I get it. They These bigger corporations, they're not looking to help the author or the business necessarily. Their entire focus is the consumer. And whenever you're looking at it from a consumer perspective, you're like, yes, absolutely. That should help be how it is. We don't want people manipulating, you know, book reviews and 
you know, gaming the system because they've got a marketing background, but they're crap at writing books. But still, it's one of those yeah. things, make it a little easier for people trying to get a leg up on this kind of stuff. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you there, but let me ask you a couple of questions. You've had a couple of things that popped up. Um, okay, sure. Let me see how many you can handle at once. We'll see. <laughs> sorry about this. this. is a bad habit of mine. So your wife wrote a, or was attempting to write a book and then you had to, the platform that you came from and you went to first, did your wife manage to write her book and how did it do and everything? Or is she still in the process? And then second, um, purely from a marketing standpoint or, you know, the back end, what platform were you on and what did you swap to? And was it just the genres or what was the holdup there that was making you like, Hey, I'm going to shut my, you know, business down for three months. Sure. So, uh, the wife, yes, uh, she wrote, she wrote the book, uh, she ended up writing the trilogy. Um, and you know, we, we had her book was the, uh, prototype book for VRO offers for a bit. And we got her over a hundred reviews on Amazon and, and, uh, go over a hundred on Goodreads too. Um, <clears throat> and did good. Oh, uh, she's working awesome. on a new book. She's working on a new book right now. Um, and we'll see what, what happens with that. Um, the, um, the platform I had used before was keep or also known as Infusionsoft. I, I, I'd used them for, you know, since 2009 for other business purposes. Um, and we were kind of getting into a situation with them where the delivery was starting to be not good. Um, we had a whole. I think we had like a whole six week period where they couldn't deliver to a Yahoo email address or anything on <laughs> <Right>. Verizon. <laughs> um, and we were also running some issues, you know, when each, each book is a separate campaign in, uh, uh-huh. in their system. So as you imagine, if, if I'm doing four books a day for several years, I end up with thousands of active campaigns. Cause even after, you know, the initial giveaway for our books done, um, the campaign still exists in their system in case somebody clicks the link and they got to get told, you know, it's already over. Um, and so, um, I think their system just wasn't able to kind of hold, keep up with it. And their, 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 um, processes were just dropping the ball and, and readers wouldn't move to the next step in a sequence. And, um, you know, it just kind of ended up being, uh, a situation where, it was costing me more money to, to stay. <laughs> so, um, I was like, I, I gotta get to a new platform. And, and so I ended up, uh, I did, I looked at a lot of different things. Um, I ended up settling on active campaign and, um, well, still not perfect. I mean, there's never be like the perfect thing, um, no. <laughs> unless it's custom for you, but, uh, they're pretty good. Um, uh, I like it. Uh, one kind of problem that we've run into with them is their delivery is actually a bit, a lot better than Infusion. And, um, so, you know, with Infusion, I'd have an idea about how many readers to offer a book to, to, you know, net the, the 20 or whatever, how many books were given away. And, um, the active campaign thing we ran into is their delivery is so bad, so much better that, you know, instead of 20 readers requesting that book, we might've had like 40 or 50. And so you get a lot of readers that are kind of miffed that, you know, I only got an email 12 hours ago and it's already closed. And so we're, we're, we're working through that now, trying to just figure out a better, um, better idea about, you know, who to offer books to, to, 
you know, get what we promise the authors, but don't want to disappoint too many readers. Man, I, it is tough what you said about it. These platforms, you're never going to find one perfect. Um, it's, it is so hard to even find one that works as well as it sounds like active campaigns working for you because there's so many of these CRMs out there and they, you know, they don't want just one customer because nobody's running a business looking for one customer. It'd be wild if you were like, hey, I'm going to you know, start for voracious readers only. And I just want one person that I'm going to send books to. Like it obviously doesn't make sense. So they have to be generic and kind of broad with what they're offering. And that is what I spend what seems like 50% of my day every day now is at my full-time job working on our CRM, trying to, you know, hey guys, this is the workaround to make what you want to do. So that's cool though, that y'all are able to make that swap. That's, it's kind of a bold move to take something that's mostly working and be willing to roll the dice on what I assume was probably a more expensive option on top of everything and all of the work that goes <laughs> into that transition process. <laughs> you know what, it's outside of, Outside of the, um, the, the alert, you know, cause when you're moving to a new platform, you kind of go through an accelerated learning process <laughs> yes. to figure it out. Um, cause first you have, you have to like, what, I mean, in my case, I'm like reading the documentation and watching videos on YouTube, just trying to get a sense of like, can this do what I need? Cause I got to call a salesperson and ask the right questions. And then, right. you know, the salesperson, you know, if you don't ever ask the right questions, there's, and be very specific about what you're looking for. You know, they'll say whatever, whatever it takes to get the sale, you know? So, uh -huh. um, yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll fix it in post. And, uh, and so, you know, I, there, I end up, it was between two and, uh, I went with active campaign. The other one I was looking at was Kartra. Uh huh. And I really like that platform. It's just the, the, the actual process of when a reader requests a book and the, email has to go to the author to let them know it got to be a bit complicated and uh, oh yeah i imagine i didn't want to they'd have to make every author would have to be a user <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's, i wasn't gonna do yeah. that um, i actually use cart for myself and that's that is one of the problems with it is i have a lot of emails kicked out to different people and i basically made up user accounts with those emails and locked out these quote-unquote users from their own account because i was like well would like this person to receive emails here. They're not coming into my Kartra CRM. Like they're, I'm just not going to let them in. That's, there's no way. So it's a pain. Uh, I really like Kartra as a individual. I couldn't imagine trying to use it and what you're talking about. That was probably a good choice <laughs> on your part. <laughs> yeah. And there's another platform. I use it. I use it in my, uh, in my regular day-to-day -day job, um, called big mailer. And it is awesome for doing big mass bulk email campaigns. Because mm -hmm. it, it works with the Amazon SES platform and um, just it's just dynamite for that. It'd be terrible for voracious readers only, but for like, you know, doing massive blasts of like hundreds of thousands of people, it's it's perfect. I wish I could have used it. Maybe someday they'll add some functionality and I could switch over. But I'll have um, to check you know, that in, out. In the, in the, I, it's painful finding something that sends large amounts of emails without you just immediately getting punched in the face by... Uh, all the different things out there that don't like you doing that. Yeah, the a Amazon SES platform is pretty awesome. It's just you have to have some, you have to use something that that interfaces with it. Well, I was about to and, say I've I've jumped in and like it's it's going to say you have to be kind of technical to be playing in there. But I guess if you get like a third party interface, then that would probably work for you too. 
Um, yeah, big, big mailers. Because otherwise, good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazon's not user friendly at all. No, I, I tried no, to. It's set, terrifying. I tried to set up Amazon payments as an option for authors to sign up and just use pay with Amazon their Amazon account, and uh, it's so it's so terribly complex and confusing. I I just gave up on it. I was like, I'll just do PayPal. <laughs> you know what? They can figure this out. They <laughs> they got this. So I get it. So. I, I like the switch that you did. It seemed, uh, obviously the downtime was wild, but, or not wild, but like it was noticeable. Like I could see that I had this drop in traffic on my emails that I get from your, you know, uh, campaigns where I was like, oh, they really are down. So then, you know, as soon as you're like, hey, it spun back up, there they were. I'd get, you know, just a couple people and it has been, and th- this is my shout out. This is my, my sell to anybody who is either an author or a reader on Voracious Readers only. So I've been using it for probably a couple of years and Larry, you don't know this. I think most of the listeners, unless they're new, uh, know this already, but I have a marketing background as well. And I did basically the same thing that your wife did, but I didn't have a, you know, a spouse that was going to take care of me on the marketing front. So I tried to do both writing and marketing and I spent all the money and you know, you made a good choice that you can drop some cash on ad spend and get very, very little results from it. So I've tried all these different things, tried all these different campaigns and all this different stuff. And as an author, Voracious Readers only has been one of the only consistent entities out there. I'm not even going to call it a platform. It Anything, you know, socials, uh, word of mouth, dropping business cards, coffee shops, ad spend, anything that you choose from, any kind of campaign. Voracious Readers only has been the only consistent thing where I have seen real people actually show up in my inbox for my books. So it, it's been phenomenal for that. And on top of it, like as a reader, I just can't imagine a better platform for you where you, obviously we all like the new bestsellers. There's a reason they're bestsellers. They have huge, you know, budgets to make these books really good. It's just like Netflix, like a Netflix show is going to be really well done. But getting that chance to kind of help young authors and new authors and you know, obviously probably a bit, little bit more rough around the edges on the writing, at least in my case, I'm going to pick on myself there. I'm definitely not on the Stephen King level, but you're getting to read these books that are just, you're never going to see them more than likely. And if you do, it's going to be so far down the road that it's, I don't know, to me, it's really cool that you're able to get these opportunities as a reader so early on. And, you know, maybe most of us don't go anywhere down the road, but it's a great platform. I love what you're doing. So there's, there's my sales pitch for anybody listening there. You got through it. It wasn't so bad, but and Larry didn't pay <laughs> yeah, me anything he, to say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I do like the aspect of, you know, you're definitely going to find readers that you would, you're not going to come across in a bookstore and not necessarily because, you know, there's, you know, it's not a good book. I mean, I mean, they they could, they could run the gamut. I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, I, I, most of the reader, the books we promote are, independent authors uh we do, mm-hmm. we have done some you know small and lo- we've had we've, we did one for a major publisher and that thing got snapped up real quick you know in most cases you know the the authors we're working with are you know they take their craft very seriously and they're hiring a lot of the same editors that you know the big publishing houses use because i mean both people don't know this but um the the people editing the big the books coming out in the bookstore um the editor's don't work for that publisher. <laughs> a lot of times they're just freelance and they, they live in Utah or something. Um, 
and you can hire the same people. And, uh, you know, just because a book's traditionally published doesn't mean that it even had good editing. Um, you know, I just had a friend told me they were, they're were reading the Goldfinch, which it won like the Pulitzer, I think, right? Yeah. Like, huge, it won, huge book. It won some stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, there's, there was a part where the character was in Las Vegas and then they went back to New York and it rained and they were like, Oh, it's been years since they saw rain. Well, obviously the person who wrote the book and the person who edited the book have never been to Las Vegas because it rains there. And when it rains, <laughs> yes. you remember, cause you get flash floods <laughs> and, um, <laughs> You know, it's so like, um, uh, that happened this weekend. Uh, one of the casinos is flooded right now because of the storm that came through. Um, oh yeah. Over on it, it Fremont street. They, the, they have flooding in Vegas. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It all the time. There, if you, if I used to live there and, uh, you, you drive around and there's these things called detention basins. They're the size of like a city block and they're like 40, 50 feet deep and, um, they're just there. So when it rains, all the water goes there. And there's all these tunnels that go around Las Vegas and, you know, they, they have a, when it, when it rains, it pours there and yeah, you'll get an alert on your phone. Like, Hey, flash flood warning, go home. And then like, depending on where you live, you might not be able to leave your house for the day because the water hasn't subsided. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, when you dry like that, that's what happens. The water's like, Hey, it doesn't get absorbed by anything. It just bounces and starts running downhill. So. How, yeah, how did you end up in Tacoma then if you were living in Vegas? That's a bit, I mean, not a huge jump, but kind of a jump. Uh, well, so uh, I grew up in California and my wife and I, we, we, um, we lived in the Bay Area and, and you know, she went to school there and I grew up there. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if you've been to Northern California, but the real estate prices are ridiculous. <laughs> so it's <was> like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I'm not going to buy a million dollar you know, terrible house. So I got, I got to go somewhere else. And so, uh, Las Vegas seemed like a good, a good place to try out because, you know, it's relatively close to my family and her family and, uh, no state income tax. So it's like getting a raise. I, we, we both work from home. And so, okay, you know, uh, so it's like getting a raise, you know, you go to a place where you're paying 12% tax and 0%. Uh, yeah. and then That's the real estate raise. prices were, <laughs> Yeah, the real estate prices are cheap. And, and so we lived there for a couple of years. And, um, the thing that kind of got us was the, it's very dry in Las Vegas and you don't smell anything after a while. Like you just, there's just no smell. And, uh, we, we, you don't really even realize it until you go somewhere else where they have moisture in the air. You know, I could smell trees. And so, yeah, after a couple of years, we we're just like, you know, kind of done with this. Um, I think before we moved the last month we were there, it was over a hundred degrees every day for a month. And like, even at night, it never dipped below. It was just unbearable. Even with like two air conditioning systems, it was like, can't, can't do it. So, you know, we looked at other places and all right, well, let's try Washington. And, um, you know, they have green, you can smell things. And, um, we thought the rain might be an issue, but we, we came out here and, stayed a week and checked it out and it turned out like um when you watch movies like the ring and it shows like the seattle area it's just always this oppressive dark thick rain um mm-hmm. that's not really what you get um rain in the pacific northwest is very it's like a mist and um you know you, you're not gonna use an umbrella and uh and um you know we've been here i think six years now but i don't know might end up moving again who knows <laughs> 
That's funny you mentioned the umbrella thing. So, I, you know, when we were exchanging emails about this, I told you I'd just been in the Tacoma, Seattle area. And so I was up there for a, a conference actually for SEO and it was a blast. But I had brought my girlfriend up there and we went on one of the little, you know, boat tours because we're tourists. And they made this joke that nobody used umbrellas and that the thing, you know, if they saw somebody, you know, what do you call a person using an umbrella? It's a tourist. And I was like, that's so weird. Like if it rains, I'm obviously using an umbrella. Why would you not use an umbrella? But they didn't give the background that it wasn't like a heavy rain, that it was this misty thing. So it was gorgeous though. I, I see why you'd want to be up there. Beautiful weather. Loved it. Didn't get any rain, but maybe it was well, an exceptional you, week. Well, I think you missed out on the first like seven months of the year where it like, uh, like beginning of this year because of the La Nina was just awful. Like it, it either rained or snowed like every day for like till the end of June. <laughs> it was it was just terrible. And I was like, you know, I have all this like stuff to do around the house. Like you couldn't do like, you know, I need to like paint a deck. I need to like do stuff in the patio. I need to have like part of my roof redone. And it's just like, it's like, just stop raining for a minute, you know? <laughs> but now, now we're like getting the worst of it because now we're in like a heat wave. And, you know, the other thing of Pacific Northwest is people don't have air conditioning. And so like, you know, like this past couple of days was worse than anything I had in Las Vegas. <laughs> like I can't even sleep in my bedroom right now because it's so hot. I'm sleeping downstairs. <laughs> Do you not have air conditioning at your residence? No, nobody has air conditioning here. That is so, so I'm down in the desert in Amarillo. So the air conditioning, it, it's a must and hell it, it breaks and they, you know, Hey, I need this fixed today. And like, yeah, of course <laughs> you do. We'll be out there. It's going to be really expensive, but like we have a team on standby yeah. because we don't want to be responsible for you dying. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I think maybe some of the newer communities might have air conditioning built in just because yeah, a lot of people moving from California who expect it, but you know, yeah. I live in, I live in North Tacoma. It's like an older part of town and yeah, just air conditioning, this wasn't a thing. And, uh, generally you don't need it. You know, you only have like one or two hot days a year and you just get through it. I mean, I have, I have a fireplace. I have, a, I have a, 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 a furnace up, up in the attic. So like when it comes to wintertime, I'm equipped, but yeah, summertime, uh, no, no AC. How strange, same country, just wildly different lifestyles. Uh, also, before <laughs> yeah. I forget, because I, I meant to ask you early and it already slipped out of my head, so I know it'll happen again. What was the book series that your wife wrote? I'd love to check it out and, you know, throw it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. It was called, I think it's called the Eloy Trilogy. Eloy Trilogy. Okay. I'll put it in and there. And the uh, first book is called uh, Eloy's Discovery. And also... I'm really glad you got it. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Like when's your anniversary? And you're like, Oh, I can't remember my wife's book. And that would have been not nice of me. So sorry for not warning you. I was going to ask you that beforehand. <laughs> so thank you. Oh glad yeah. You yeah. This is a, yeah. Well, I was, I was trying to visualize the cover and, um, I have a print of the cover like hanging in the house, but without the words on it, just the image. <laughs> so I was like, trying to remember what, what the words look like. <laughs> got a picture. I can send you a picture. <laughs> so, what has been your favorite part about Voracious Reason? Obviously, I have a part or a full time job, and we'll get to that too. But before I ask you that question, I'll try and break myself of this bad habit. What's been your favorite thing as you've grown Voracious Readers? Yeah, I'd say like my my favorite thing is I I'd say it's when um, when I forward an author 
like a really kick-ass review because you know some some readers you know we give them tip we give tips on how to write reviews and um you know one of the things we say is like you know don't you're not writing a book report the author doesn't like it the readers don't like it you know it doesn't it it's it's not it's it's ultimately not helpful but like when you get like the uh the reviews of like i'm exhausted right now because i just stayed up all night reading this book and uh, i'm gonna kill the author because the sequel is not gonna come out for three months i i love those and i know i know the authors love them because i'll get i'll get notes from authors sometimes when they respond to that you know they're like i'm in tears (laughs) and uh you know that's pretty awesome i like also the uh I think this might be more of like a small business kind of thing is the figuring out systems to handle, handle kind of like the things you don't like doing, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. And so the more that I can delegate out the better. And so it's kind of figuring out like the, like a process map to walk, walk somebody through like how to, how to process reviews or how to set up a book giveaway. I think that I, I think when you nail it, nail that, that's it's super neat feeling because I mean, you're you're kind of multiplying your your effectiveness by yeah. being able to do that. And there's a there's always this like uh, audio that kind of plays in my head. There's a guy named Rich Sheffrin. He's uh, I think he's he's still around, but he was like a, he was like really big, like 20 years ago. And um, his big thing was on teaching business owners processes. And one of the things he said was. If, if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you'd have no idea what you're doing. And, and like, you know, I, I take that to heart of, you know, you know, I've got, I've got to figure out like, you know, when I, when I'm thinking through like how to, how to handle this, this particular situation, you know, there's gotta be a, a way to make a flow chart out of it and pass that off to somebody else so they can, they can take that over. And, uh, it's always awesome when you get it right. And. It sucks when you get it like half right and you got to go back and fix it. But, <laughs> you got to um, climb that hill again. <laughs> <laughs> Where you change platforms, you have to redo everything. <laughs> yep. But, that's just um, life. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's great because, you know, as much as, you know, the idea of being like the one man band um, appeals to a lot of people, um, it is nice when you're able to get people on board to, to help out, take care of that day to day stuff. So, you could focus on, um, you know, doing things to make the business more effective or grow the business or just have free time to do other things. Because, you know, with any, any business, uh, if you let it, it'll suck up all your hours. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that's good advice for anybody that's wanting to do anything. It really does. It keeps you up at night. You and, and you just grind and you grind and years leave down the road. You're like, wow, how how did I spend so much time? Uh, so, but you had mentioned right before we hit the record button that you were wanting to hire people. You were looking at hiring people, but it sounds like you've also got a few, few people going on. So what does your staff look like? What does like the growth look like? Are you trying to bring in full timers or is it volunteers or interns? Like how does the back end of this work for you? Especially since you have uh, a full-time job and how do you balance the two? Yeah. So yeah, full-time job, you know, obviously that's your nine to fiver. And yeah, advantage of, of working from home is the lack of a commute. And so, you know, I, I literally start work at eight and, and then I'm done at nine or at five. And then, um, currently I have, um, a virtual assistant who handles the, 
um, the book setups. Um, and, and I think I might have to, I'm gonna have to bring somebody else on to handle reviews. Um, just because, um, I don't want to over, I don't want to overload somebody where they're spending, you know, on average 40 hours a week, you know, just doing the basic stuff. Um, just cause you need, you know, you do need a little, little buffer in there. You know, if you have like a project or something for them to work on, where they have time to do it or something happens or they gotta be out of town or they get COVID or who knows. Um, yeah. so yeah, I'll be, I'll be bringing somebody on to handle the review aspect of it. Um, cause we do like to keep track of reviews so that we could get them to the authors and turn off our follow-up emails. So we're not continuously asking the reader to review the book. Um, and, um, so I, I think ultimately I'll probably end up with three people, um, kind of running the show. Um, and then I just hand, I'll, I'll just be handling, uh, just the weird stuff that comes up and, and setting up some, um, new one-off stuff as it comes up. Cause most, I, I I'm, I'm taking the idea of now everything I do is to tr- try to figure out, like, it make sure there's, there's some system that it could be, could be used. Even if it's something where I'm, I'm making like decisions, like, you know, I, I do the weekly publishing report for authors and, um, or I, I give them links to these articles that I think might be interesting to them on different aspects of, of publishing and, and writing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to trying to think it through of like, well, if I had somebody doing this, you know, what, what would they be look, what would, what should they be looking for to think if this is going to be a good to share or not share, you know, just in case I can't do it or, or whatever. And, uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm still working on that one. But, you know, I've, I've found that, uh, that format is, is a pretty good format for just making sure you get weekly content out to stay in touch with your list. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of adapt it for authors to keep in touch with their readers. Um, cause, um, I know that once you build an email list, um, it can be great for you, but there, it, it, it does get to be kind of crazy trying to figure out what to send them each week and still provide value. It's tough. I, <laughs> uh, for this podcast, actually, you know, hopefully most of the listeners see my weekly newsletter. It's time consuming. And I, I don't know if a lot of people get that. Um, and I bet a lot of your, your readers and your authors probably don't get it because how many people are doing the same thing, but it's tough to find even for a really short email, like good information that you want to say like, Hey, it's, you know, it's another Monday. We're here again. No, finding that stuff is difficult. It's time consuming. Uh, making it interesting is time consuming. And that's yeah. you know, attempting to make it interesting is a better way. It's you don't always hit the mark, which really sucks whenever you spend two or three hours a week, you know, kind of curating and building in, you know, that content out for your readers or your listeners. That's tough. And it's tough to teach yeah. somebody how to do it. Like have that vision, you know, this is what voracious readers should look like. This is what we're wanting to do. Like you have it all in your head, but writing it down, good luck. Like <laughs> it's, it's a yeah. talent to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, and when I, when I started with the idea of doing a weekly email, I was like, you know, I've been doing marketing forever. I can always get content. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd say this, I put up a pretty good fight and, you know, I was, I was always out there just looking for interesting things. Like I came across, uh, a, a site called Lumen five that helps you make like videos. And I was like, authors can use this to make book trailers. And, um, uh, 
you know, put together a quick little email about it, sent it out and they loved it. And, but, you know, it, it started to get harder and harder to find good stuff to share, to, you know, to write about. And, um, so what I, what I ultimately did was, um, and now I still have to do this on the new platform, but I took all the emails that had the best open rates and, um, I just made that the onboarding sequence for authors when they signed up where they'd get those emails, boom, 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 you know, and the idea would be in, they'd get, they'd, they'd have emails coming through regularly until their giveaway date. And then hopefully they sign up for like the evergreen program and, and, uh, then they'll continue to get emails because of that. And then I, when I moved platforms, I, I saved all those emails and I still have to like put them in some format to get them to the authors now. But uh, I, I really enjoy the weekly format because, you know, I'm always reading this kind of stuff. And so it's, it's nice to, uh, you know, just bookmark the stuff that I like. And, and, uh, I've got a pretty good system to plug it into an email each week. And, you know, one thing about active campaign I really like is you just have to set up one email template and, uh, you can have different, different lists. And, um, say like, you know, this, this section goes to this list, this section goes to this list, this section goes to this list. So like, you know, now I just have to do one email a week and all the authors get it depending on where they're at in the, in the list. And, um, you know, it's a lot easier than doing like five or six different versions like I was doing on the old platform. No, that's awesome. Definitely helps make sure it gets done. Yeah. And you know, you're not wasting, uh. (laughs) <laughs> you're not wasting any of your time and effort like hey these guys are going to get it but really wish they could see my new content uh, i actually use constant contact because i'd looked at active campaign and it same thing as what you're talking about i had constant contact salesperson and they were really hands-on and really aggressive and i guess that won me over more than active campaigns kind of apathy whether or not i went with them and that is one of my favorite parts about them as well it's like you can segment those lists but you can send it different ways and uh mm-hmm the templates are just lifesavers being able to set up your own little template and just make sure everything looks the way you want. That it is such a cool tool. So it's, it's cool what some of the technology does nowadays. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's also a good idea is to, uh, every now and then just kind of look at what's out there in case, you know, God forbid you have to change. Cause you know, I had a, a situation where the, the, my day job where we had a, a vendor we were using for our emails and they were expensive. And because we have very particular thing that we had to do and, you know, it, we were paying like $5,000 a month for the emails wow. and, um, <laughs> and their system was not user friendly. So, you know, $5,000 a month plus all the staff time to update and modify templates and set up emails. You couldn't, you couldn't schedule emails. You'd have to manually send it when the time came. Oh my so goodness. Like, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody's out of town, somebody's got to, you know, make sure it gets done. <laughs> and so, you know, they, you know, just from like the inertia of it, you know, they had us for several years before, you know, they just kind of raised that price for the the last time or just like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. And, uh, you know, started shopping around and, and you find all these platforms that are like all this cool stuff that, you know, didn't exist 10 years before and uh, makes your life so much easier. You're like, man, I wish we would have done this sooner. <laughs> yeah, so, like having an email where you can specify if a section of the email is for mobile or desktop so you can control how the headline's going to look. Because, mm-hmm. you know, 
you can make this you, like it's always a problem with headlines. You can make a headline look great if it's on desktop because you know what the width's going to be. But then like on mobile, it's going to be responsive. So it could be anything. And so it's nice if you can just kind of like make adjustments where you're like, OK, well, if it's on mobile, it's it's not going to be any wider than this. And I can make sure the font size looks right. And then on desktop, I can also make it look good. And that's not some businesses were making as an option 10 years ago. See, I, I haven't even run into that. So that is something I'm going to now have to go look at and have learned from this talk. So thank you. I hope it doesn't cause me too much more work, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I've not even paid attention to mobile emails. Uh, I know that's on, you know, I do website design and that has been a big problem is I'll build a really cool website and, you know, get cool to me uh, on desktop. And then the mobile, I just kind of, oh, hey, I need to look at that. And I look and it's like, well, now I have to rebuild a whole website because I did not think about the mobile. And that's where 80% of people are in. It just doesn't. Yeah, look that's good, so. And that's why I, I use Divi for um for my website, just cause, j- just for the simple fact that you have a button you can press and you can see what it looks like on mobile and you can change the settings for mobile only. That's pretty so, cool. I I use Webflow for anything I'm doing. It's that was one of the big reasons I got me to was they had a very handy tool for swapping between mobile and desktop versions. So I'll have to check out Divi though. I haven't heard of it, so I'm behind the curve, I guess. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything on, you know, your life, voracious readers, your day job, anything that you are like, hey, I've got this little audience right here that I probably don't normally get to talk to that I want them to know about? Sure. Well, you know, since we're we're probably dealing with with uh, readers more than authors on this on this audio, um, you know, I'd say if uh, if you read a lot of books and you want to kind of read more than the standard fare you might find on at the bookstore. You check out BRO. One kind of neat thing is in the in the independent publishing space, the the genres that fall out of favor for the mainstream, you know, there's still people writing those genres. So, you know, if you have something that you like reading that just isn't popular anymore, you might find the next author that you're going to read for that genre through VRO or or you know some other equivalent kind of service. But, you know, there's definitely more out there than what the traditional bookstores are throwing at you nowadays. And there's a lot of quality writing going on. Um, and there, I mean, we also, you know, we, we deal with the popular stuff, too. So get a lot of a lot of contemporary romance, cozy mysteries, thrillers. Those those are always those are always big. And so, you know, I'd say if you like to experiment, check it out. I mean, the worst, worst case scenario is you get a book, you read, you read a bit of it. Maybe it's not for you. And then you can just move on to a new one. You're not obligated to read or, or review any book. And we do it that way because especially with sites like Amazon, their terms of service, they're pretty uh, set on, you can't incentivize readers to review a book and giving them a book in, in exchange for a review is considered incentivizing. And so, you know, we don't want to get anybody in trouble. And so, you know, we, we say, you know, here's the book. We hope you read it and we hope you liked it. And if you did like it, we hope you write a review because that really helps out the authors and, um, you will make it easy for you to do that review. And, um, you know, on, on the reader front, if you do come across an author that you enjoy and you write a good review, if the author's smart, they'll keep you in mind the next time they have a book out and offer it to you early on as an early reader or part of their street team or 
whatever they're going to call it. And, um, you know, you get, you know, get a little extra access, you know, to keep reading their, their stuff and, uh, you know, help them grow their career. And, you know, maybe they'll be the next Stephen King or whatever. And you could say you knew him when you found him on, on, uh, first years only in your email. <laughs> that, that is the way that's what we're all hoping for. Uh, both as the authors hoping to get big and, uh, readers hoping to find that guy before he is, you know, huge. Cause you know, right now someone emails me or texts, calls, whatever. I am more than happy to talk to them. Personally, I don't think I can get a hold of Stephen King and get him to talk to me right now. I haven't tried <laughs> technically, but uh, I'm pretty sure it would not be a, let's go grab beer, Stephen King. And he'd say, absolutely, man, let's, let's just go do that real quick. <laughs> so it'd be cool though. And it'd be a cool story. You know, if you ever call it like, like you see it and get to have that beer with that author before uh, they become too fancy and big and their publisher well, has to you bet never, you or something. <laughs> you never know. He might be complaining that nobody ever calls him. Well, and, and there's that. There was something I read. I think it might have been Neil Gaiman, some quote, you know, and that was their, what they're talking about. Like, hey, always reach out. You, know, you read a book and you don't like it. Reach out to the author and be like, hey, this is the parts I didn't like. If you loved it, let them know. Like, they're all human. They want to hear from you. You know, don't don't rip them a new one. Like, you know, that's that's just rude. If you wouldn't say it to them on the street, probably don't put it in the email either. But if you like something. Let them know if you've got some really good constructive criticism, help them grow. So definitely, yeah, definitely worth reaching out. Yeah. And, oh, and you know, another thing I would throw out there as uh, just as like a little thing for uh, authors or readers is, um, you know, one disadvantage of if you're, if you're reading a book that it's not coming from a main publishing house is if a book's written in a different English speaking country and they release it in America, they might localize it a bit. So like, obviously people know the differences in like the Harry Potter books based on what the kids are eating and stuff, because American audiences just, you know, they don't know all the British stuff, but you know, obviously you know, an author who's on their own, uh, they're not going to do that. And they might, they might spell words differently or have, you know, just weird sayings that are, you know, perfectly normal where they're from as a, as a reader, kind of just be aware that that happens and, and odds are. If, if that's a criticism you have about the way they said something or spelled something, um, you know, you might be right, but you're probably not. <laughs> it's, the author <laughs> probably knows what they're doing. <laughs> that's fine. I have never thought of that, but that is definitely something that's come up. I, I grew up reading a lot of British books. A lot of my spelling on certain words is the British variant. Um, and I've never really thought about that localization. That's, that is interesting and good to think about. And I, yeah, you know, I'm from Texas, like, well, so we say some weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I remember being a kid reading the uh, Wrinkle in Time books, and uh, the the characters keep going to the lavatory, and I saw that's a weird way to spell laboratory. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> didn't make any sense. <laughs> that's great. It, it's funny how there's little things like that in the world that just you don't think about it on a day to day, but it pops up. You're like, well, of course that makes sense. They're using a different word, or they've got different jargon, or whatever. So. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure people a, listening to this are like, y'all are just weirdos. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a book written by, what's his name? The guy who wrote, uh, William Gibson. And it's the first, it's the first book in his Blue Ant trilogy. I can't He's remember the guy that wrote right Neuromancer, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I've read the, Neuromancer. So this I don't think the, I picked anything else up. Yeah. So this is the first book when he's, when, as he says, the world caught up to his writing and the main character, she is a. I think they call her like a style sleuth or something. Or she kind of travels around the world and kind of 
like uncovers styles that she could share it in other places. And she calls the United Kingdom the mirror world because it's like the United States, but there's all these like little differences, uh, like the way that scissors are shaped and stuff. And there's reasons for it. And like, I, I always think about that. Oh, that's great. I need to check that out. I really liked Neuromancer. So I don't know why I haven't picked up the rest of his stuff that he has. I think he's written like a bajillion books. So <laughs> yeah, this particular one, I, I wish I could remember the name, but like the whole plot it has to do with this, the, I mean, he was still ahead of his time, uh, like, cause the plot is about these people who they find these little snippets of video all over the internet and they have no context and they try to figure out what the meaning of the videos is and how they arrange together and stuff. And it, it creates this like, weird culture. And then the whole adult books about like trying to discover, you know, who's making these videos and if it could be, if it could be used for like marketing and, um, and uh, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but it's weird. <laughs> but it's okay. a good it's a good book I'll see if i can find i'll throw it in the show notes if i can come up with it or if you think about it shoot me an email we'll we'll throw it in for the guys and girls that are listening yeah. well you know i might be able to figure out real quick it's called pattern pattern recognition pattern recognition perfect well thanks for yeah. coming in that well came we'll out in 2003 I'll, I'll add it on my ever-growing list that is j- just stupid long at this point <laughs> but <laughs> i'd rather be there than uh with no list at all on books to read. That'd be a depressing time of life. But, oh, well, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'll put it on there. Well, Larry, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thank you a ton for the readers that you've gotten sent my way. That's That has been a boon to my ego. So <laughs> whether anything ever comes of it or not, uh, it's been nice knowing people are picking up my book and not hating it. So thank you so much for everything you're doing and hanging out with me. It's been a pleasure talking with you, man. Now you're very welcome. Glad I could help. Absolutely. All right, guys. To everybody listening, thank you guys for tuning in. Do not forget to check out Voracious Readers Only. Uh, we'll have it in the show notes, but it's voraciousreadersonly.com. And definitely hop on there. You know, check out what Larry's doing. It is one of those cooler things in the world that is definitely needs more attention. As well as Larry's doing, he should have just about everybody who reads books on that list. So... Until next time, we look forward to connecting with you soon. 